0: So, patio was really excited to be able to have Dixon on to talk about his really incredible technology with his printer cable.
1: That is one of the coolest things I think we've to- ever talked about, James. <laughs> I'm, like, so yeah. excited to see, you know, w- the uptake on this. It's, yeah, I mean. It's, it's a no-brainer. Like, it it is. Like I mean, long no-brainer. story
0: short, our audience, you can go sell restaurants now. You can flip them, whether they're on NCR or Aloha, doesn't matter. You can flip the credit card processing and just install a little printer cable. And it's amazing. So they're gonna yeah. love that. And then tell us about the insider's report, Patty. Uh,
1: we have an update on surcharging. This time it's surcharging for um, ATMs. I think our listeners are gonna be really interested in seeing you know, where Visa and MasterCard are being pushed on this. And then yeah. I really loved your questions from the field, James. I thought it was so insightful.
0: Well, thank you. Yeah, I was talking about selling um, options. So it's option selling. So instead of just all or nothing, trying to create options, whether that's cascading options or all at once, um, and even in customer support situations. So I really think it will help you to close more deals. Uh, We talk a little bit about the cash discounting, surcharging, traditional, and that approach, but even things like point of sale systems and how to really use options to get a yes more often than a no.
1: Yeah. And, uh, you know, our podcast today as in the last, uh, several weeks is, uh, brought is sponsored by NMI. Uh, you can visit them at ccsalespro.com slash NMI. You ready wow. to go, James?
0: I'm ready. Let's do it.
1: Okay.
2: Welcome to the merchant sales podcast.
0: All right, everybody. Today we are here with my friend Dixon Chu. How are you doing today, Dixon?
3: I'm good, James. How are you?
0: Doing fantastic. So really excited to have this conversation today. Dixon is the chairman and CEO of a company called Copper Inc. And today, Patty and I are going to be discussing how to integrate payments with literally any restaurant, even if they're using one of these old, you know, uh, systems, point-of-sale systems. And so it's really an amazing technology, and we're going to be talking about that today. But before we do, we would love to get a little backstory. So Tick, uh, Dixon, just tell us, you know, how did you get into this space? Um, how did copper come to be? Give us a little background, if you would.
3: Yeah, yeah. You know, I, I hate to divulge my age, but I, you know, I spent over 30 years at the intersection of financial services and uh, data and technology, right? Sure. And when I ran across the two guys who were the original founders of Copper, where they invented this little gadget, I said, I know exactly what to do with that. So, um, you know, the kind of problems that I've always trying to solve using technology in the past, I'll give you a couple of examples. So, you know, right after the eBay acquisition of PayPal, um, I got recruited to create a merchant services uh, business unit while the rest of the company was focused on getting PayPal on the eBay. Yes. So, you know, in a six year period, I was uh, fortunate enough with a great team to get from like almost nothing to a billion dollars in, in top line revenue at PayPal, built out mutual services, bought wow. the Parasign gateway business. Um, so that's one example. I left PayPal, joined city to go create a digital payments business. And it was at that point that, you know, this is in like the Wayback Machine. I, you know, we partnered with uh, MasterCard and Google to create Google Wallet 1.0. You know, NFC was going to take over the world, right? Right. Day, right. You know, we, I remember we had our first locations at the Dwayne Reed on Lexington Avenue, all kinds right. of things. So right. I've been in the middle of trying to bring new things to the market to solve persistent problems, right? Yep. And when I saw Copper's technology, I said, look, it's been forever that um, merchants are frustrated with the fact they spend a lot, they cost them a lot of money to, to have a POS system. It works great. It does everything they need to run their business, but then the systems are intentionally designed to inhibit choice.
1: Right. If
3: you're a merchant, you don't get the free choice of, oh, I, I, I got a better rate. Can I process for someone else? Right. I don't like the guy I have now. Someone else is going to give me better service. Right. Or I you know what, I'm way behind. I'm gonna start getting penalized on um EMB compliance or fallback compliance and, and and but the systems are set up not to either hey we have a solution for you, but you're gonna pay us a whole bunch of extra to get there, mm-hmm. or we can't really help you, but you know, maybe your bar can do some custom work for you, right? Right.
0: Well,
3: what we did was we invented um, an ability to get data and therefore transactions out of any PLS system to give the merchants choice. And I think that's like a big problem that's persistent and that we're trying to solve. Yeah. At the same time, you know, if you're a, a, a payments provider, you're out there working hard, right? You're knocking on doors. You're trying to get a new account. You sell them that you're going to be a better price and better service. Except, <laughs> except a few things happen, right? The merchants are great. Um, I can't afford to switch, I, and, I, and my servers love the NCR Aloha that we have in place. Right. So I don't have to. I don't want to have to retrain them. Can't we keep that? Why don't you talk to my NCR value uh, reseller to come and update the the machine I have with your 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 new VAR sheet, your mid, and all that. Right. So ISO calls the bar. Guess what? The bar someone who owns the merchant account that exists there in the first place. So they're never going to cooperate with you. Right. And then even if they didn't, they're going to say, hey, you know, we'll get around to it. It'll be a week, two weeks. And by the way, you know, I'm going to charge you money to, to right. do this 10-minute update, right? Mm-hmm. Um, and it's I've heard anything from 500 dollars to 3000 dollars yep. yep. to do a bar sheet update. Well, yeah. I mean. This poor guy like, is working his butt off. He's out there selling these new accounts. and Now he can't break through. Guess what? Now all you have to do is show up and say, look, we're all set. And we're going to get you up and going by just installing this smart cord. Replace the dump air cable you have. Enroll it to Wi-Fi. And then um, Copper routes the transaction to the new mid. And the bar doesn't even have to, it's no no more the wiser. The merchant's happy because everything works exactly the way it's always worked. Servers don't have to learn anything new. I mean, it's a long-winded thing to explain what we do, but you know, at the very beginning, one of the co-founders, like what he was trying to figure out is there are all these POS systems. I'm sitting here. I've been waiting for my check for 30 minutes. Why can't I just pay for it on my phone? And that sort of started his investigation. Really?
0: that's interesting. So that's what that that was the that was the problem that he was solving that kind of started the the wheels and, rolling.
3: And and then as you peel back the onion, you realize he realized, oh, um, we're like over a hundred different POS brands in restaurants. Like there's a lot, that's a lot of integration to do, and so he came around to, well, all we really need is access to the data. So how do we get the data? So that's where we. We've discovered that the printer port is universal, right? Every POS has to print the receipt, and it's either going to conform to Epson's standard or it's going to conform to Star Micronics standard. Right. And so that sort so of it's, started... It's only, only different
0: two different kind of data formats, and in a way, I'm sure there's variations from the systems yeah. and what they send, but...
3: Essentially, formats. that's it, right? I mean, right. every POS brand is going to be slightly different in terms of how they work with that protocol. right. And so what we've done is we've built a very smart engine that learns. Right. And whenever we encounter a new POS brand we haven't seen, um, it takes us like two weeks to process, observe that data, and then we build a new right. uh, new component to support that brand.
0: So, all right, so let's do this. So, you know, I love that you're already diving into the details because that's what I was going to ask you to do anyway. This is yeah. a really, this is very different than our normal interview because, it's such an innovative technology that I'm afraid our audience, if we don't start off with just explaining what it is, yeah. they're not going to have an idea what we're talking about today, right? Yeah, so, yeah, yeah, yeah. so this idea is that I go into a business, they have a, I go into a restaurant, they have a point of sale system, and I'm just going to swap out the printer cable, the cable from the point of sale system to the printer, yep. and that's going to work. So dive into a little more detail for those of our audience that have no idea what we're talking about yep.
3: and explain yeah.
0: how is it that by swapping the printer cable, I'm now able to process payments through my payment provider instead of the one that's integrated with their POS
3: system. Yes, that's that's a great question. So we we built something that is essentially a an embedded computer inside of uh, a printer cable, right? So you swap out the dumb printer cable with our smart cord. Um, and what it is, is in the first instance, it always acts like a regular printer cord, So mm-hmm. print jobs will just go through. Right. But there's a there's a, actually a um, single chip computer that's built in that talks Wi-Fi. And so it's a simple Apple-like experience to enroll our, our computer to the local Wi-Fi. Once enrolled, it becomes a thing on the internet. You know, it was all the rage a few years ago. IoT. Well, we're basically an IoT device. Okay. That's now intercepting um, everything that's printed from that POS. It still acts like a normal printer. That's my question too. World, yeah, okay. <laughs> also capturing, intercepting all that data and sending it to our cloud. Um, and so here hence we're an IoT platform. And what it's doing is when it's in our cloud, we take that data, we parse it out, and we say, okay. Here's, here's what the line items are in it. Here's the server's ID, the table ID, and all that. And we actually, in real time, create the receipt that, um, that the, the printer expects to see, that server normally sees. So that's that part of it. But because um, we're collecting the data and we're actually um, um, creating the receipt, in e commerce terms, think of us as like the shopping cart when you check out on Amazon, when you check out at a website. You put all your items in that cart and then you say pay, right? We're right. that cart. And so when, when, when you're ready to pay, we then, um, like every other shopping cart, will pass the data to the appropriate um, party that, that we're partnered with. And so this way, we're in the front of that funnel and we can send the, the payment request, the transaction to whoever is our partner.
0: Got it. So let, let me, let me zoom out for one second and let me, let me say it again and yeah. the way I understand it. And then correct me if I miss anything, Dixon. So I just want to make sure our audience really gets this. So um, let's, let's break it down like an actual transaction, right? So I'm a, I'm a customer now I go to a restaurant and yep. I want to pay for my bill. So yep. what happens is that the server is going to go back to their legacy point of sale system. As you mentioned, like an NCR or something like that. Yeah. And they're going to, you know, they already have the items in there and they're going to say, okay, it's time to pay. Yeah. And when they do that, what's going to happen is the data, which includes all the items that the, they purchased, it's yep. going to go into that printer cable for the purpose of printing it. But instead of it just printing it, instead, it's first going to send it through the cloud up to your system. Yep. Your system is then going to do two things, as I understand it. Yep. Number one, it's going to send a signal back down to say, OK, go ahead and print a receipt. Yep. Right. Yep. And that receipt is even going to have, I believe, a QR code on it.
3: Absolutely. So, yeah. Know. So so we can inject anything we want because we're creating that receipt. Right. So so there's two payment things that happens when the server prints the, the ticket. So you're done with your mail. you ask for your check. Server goes back to the point of sales system, print check for table five. The check is now printed. Like the server's no more no more the wiser. Check new check prints because they're gonna put in the little uh cover thingy and Right. bring it to the table and present it to you as your check. Right. Right. Except now what's happened is the check has a QR code at the bottom. Okay. Now at the same time, um, uh, the server may have a handheld device like a, a PAX, a or a Clover Flex for, for, um, checking people out at the table. Mm-hmm. So now the experience is you ask for your check to you print the check, Come to the table with a little carrier and your check with the QR code at the bottom, but also, let's say, has a PAX 920, A920. And she says, Hey, you have two ways to pay. Totally contactless. I mean, it's quite topical now with COVID and so forth. Like, just scan, open the camera on your phone and scan that QR code, and you can check yourself out. You'll get a digital receipt. Or I can check you out right here. Um, you know, she'll call up the same ticket. That's on the uh, on the device. Show you that same thing that you're looking at on paper. You say, "Yep, yep, yep." That's my that's my order. You add tip. Simple, you know, uh, button add tip. Tap the card. dip the card. Done. Um, now the magic is, if you pay on the device, the restaurant now has the benefit of fully EMV compliant transaction, uh-huh. right? Um, if you pay on with the QR code with the scan. Um it, it everything's all digital. And it's also a three secure transaction so we get right. liability check. Right. right. Um right. and so so it, it's ironic that um if any of us, you know, and I've traveled all over the world, like the US is the only country left where when you ask for your check, it's the server doesn't come with a device and check you <laughs> out. You
0: right? actually get a check.
3: <laughs> you get a check and then and then you know what happens is they run back. You know, they, they have to go do other things. They come back after you've inspected and left your card. Then they grab your card and go back to the porn sale, run the transaction. And if it's an older trans, uh, porn sale, chances are they're running uh, MSR MagStripe. Right. Non-EMB compliant. Right. Reprints that to bring it to you so you can write in your tip amount. Right. and Right. And then she grabs that and goes back to the PLS to have to close the order. right? Yeah. We we cut like two steps out or from a customer standpoint, you probably say I probably save some frustration and I can when I'm ready for my check, I'm pretty much ready to leave. Right. Instead right. of waiting another 15, 20, 30 minutes. Right. I get my check and I'm good to go.
1: Well, you know, this the, it kind of leads into a question that I had, Dixon. And I yeah, I think you kind of answered it, but let's just let me just throw it out there in terms yeah. of It seems to me that the the draw for the restauranteur is fewer steps, therefore more productivity. Um, Is that what you think would intrigue them the most, or is there something else in it? Um,
3: I think it's three things.
1: Okay.
3: First one is make more money. How did they make more money? Well, you took some steps out, you made them more productive, so therefore more table turns. Right. More table turns equals more money. The second step is they save money. How do they save money? Well, as you guys know, um, this this EMB compliance has been around for six years now, right? This mandate. Mm. But now two things are happening. Visa is assessing a 10 cent per transaction fallback penalty. If, if your you're transactions are 10% right. of um, there's a penalty. And then um, some of the processors are charging up to like 62 basis points per transaction. as a non-compliant wow. penalty.
1: Mm-hmm.
3: So you're sitting there as a the merchant and you're saying, well, wait, it's gonna cost me thousands of dollars to do this upgrade and all that, and they postponed it. Well, with me, for very little money per month, you're gonna get compliance. So you're gonna save money. And the third is probably as interesting or as important as everything else, is remember the server is now not running back and forth two or three times. And by the way, um, our data from our own experience at deployments has shown that when the server shows up with a device to to check you at the table, Mm -hmm. she's seeing anywhere from 16 to 18% higher tip amounts. Wow, Wow. So Less work, she's not running back twice.
1: Uh Uh
3: She's getting more higher tips. So, hey, if she's working less, getting paid more, there's a good chance if you're the restaurant owner, she's going to stick around. Stick around so you don't have this right. labor problem that is plaguing everyone. So make more money, save money, happier employees.
1: And I I, I would think, I would just add, I would think there's also a, a customer satisfaction thing in terms of, well, I personally don't like giving my card to somebody who's going to take it in the back and does, you know, maybe loses it or it sits there at the cash register yeah. for 20 minutes while she's serving a bunch of other people, right?
3: Right, right. I mean, like I said earlier, I mean, you know, in fact, I was just out to dinner with my uh, my family last night and nice meal. Everything was great. When you ask for your check, you're kind of ready to go, right? Right. Well, first of all, I got to flag the person down. They come over, they bring the check and then they run away because they're busy, right? right? Which, you know, I don't fault them for that but I'm kind of ready to go. Right, and so yeah. now um, I'm happier if I didn't have to wait those two extra 20 minutes. Sure.
0: right. Well, right. oh, yeah, yeah. I think, you know, what's interesting too, the one you guys didn't talk about is the one that our audience cares about the most as a benefit for the merchant is the savings from switching payment processing providers, right? So right. This, yeah. this enables them to actually save a lot of money potentially by they've been locked in with whoever they're using on the POS integration side. And as everybody in our audience knows, if a merchant's locked in with a POS provider for processing, price increases will happen
3: because they're right. locked in. Well, I, mean, I, won't, I won't name the company, but it, it seems to be a prevailing practice now where there's a company disguised as a point of sale company, but they're really a payback for a very big processor. Right. And they say, "Hey, we're going to give you the hardware for free, and you're going to have all this great technology on the on the POS side." But right. you have to do, exclusively do your processing with me, right? Well, right. Well, once you sign that exclusive contract, um, by the way, they're free to raise the rates as often and as much as they want, which mm-hmm. they right. literally have been doing. Right. And right. So, if you're the merchant, I mean, you know, these freshman tiers work hard and they have really low margins.
1: Right. Yeah.
3: Like yeah. what we're all about at Copper is how do we how do we give them choice?
1: Yeah. Right. right. Yeah. So well, let's, oh, go can, ahead. I, can I throw in one more question, James, sure. if you don't yeah, mind? Yeah. yeah, I mean, because like as Je- as Dixon pointed out, you know, things like pay at the table are relatively new here in the US. I mean, you know, um, at, at least from the consumer perspective. I'm just interested if you have any stats on how technology like copper is affecting the consumer experience. I mean, I we just talked sort of anecdotally. I'm just wondering, yeah. is there any data on that?
3: Um, we're collecting it. Okay. I mean, Patty. To be to be fair,
1: it's fairly new, right? Yeah,
3: we're a one-year-old company.
1: Okay. But we're
3: getting a lot of demand, and so a year from now, I, I hope to be able to come back to you and say, "Look, I've got five hundred locations, and here's the data that says higher tips, faster checkout, all that, more
1: um, loyalty, so gap- all that kind of stuff." Sure, yeah. I got gotcha. you. Okay.
3: I put anecdotal. Well, it's not an anecdotal. Um, like this whole QR code in the bottom of the receipt. Yeah, we think That's it's cool, sort of cool right? Yeah. But, yeah. you know, you go to Asia, I mean, I, I, you know, I was in Beijing a couple of years ago and everyone is either doing Alipay or WeChat pay, right? Mm-hmm. No one has cash anymore and they just scan the QR code to pay. Right. right. I just sort of say, well, a billion people can't be wrong. Right.
0: right? <laughs> yeah. 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 It's, it's, it is that, the trend is on the way.
1: It is interesting how the QR code is. I mean, it took COVID to even get the QR code into the consumer vernacular in terms of right. going to a restaurant and pulling up the menu. Right. 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 And, and I remember the first time I did that at a restaurant, I'm like, so do you have a QR code I can use to pay? And right. they kind of exactly. looked at me quizzically. No, right? you can't. <laughs> yeah. yeah.
0: I love it. I yeah. love it. Sorry. So, all right, so let, let's transition a little bit. I do want to talk about the server. You've already touched again on a lot of this, sticks in, but let's, let's, you know, kind of brush over this again. Yeah. So from the server's experience, one thing I'm interested in is, let's assume a restaurant doesn't want to change anything. They still want the server to run back and forth and do all this because they're not comfortable with pay at the table. Right. I mean, I'm assuming they could just use their a 920 where they normally would swipe it. Yeah. So, you know, it seems like they could do that, but can you talk a little bit more about the server's experience with this? What yeah. are the pros and cons? What's their experience like?
3: Yeah. Yeah. Great question. Um, So, so um, there is a minor bit of, retraining our behavior change right so the server instead of running back and forth which they're accustomed to they're now you know armed with a handheld device that they can just check out right um and like all things human nature being what it is it might take you know a couple of times before they say wow why would i do this any differently like i don't have to go back and forth and by the way you know every in every restaurant that you can think of it i get that experience. The server, by the way, has to close that check before they're able to uh, check out of their shift, right? Right. So now they're either going to run back and forth and close the ticket, which, which, by the way, we still require, right? Sure. Or what's beautiful is if they're checking out with the device, for instance, all those transactions are queued up on the device for them, uh-huh. so they could at their break or at um, at the end of the shift right. just pull up all their closed tickets and just close it off in the POS. And by the way, the only reason you're closing it out of the POS is so that accounting at the end of the day can reconcile all the transactions that were entered right. with the payment transactions from the merchant account, which right. which we facilitate. We because we don't integrate to the POS technically, we can't post the transaction automatically close it out. Most of the servers we interviewed have said, no, we don't actually want you to automatically close out a transaction because. Once you close it on the POS, it makes the table available for seating. Right. Right. Mm. And so we, we've we spent a lot of time trying to make this as consistent with the way they normally work today. Mm-hmm. Yeah. But with a bunch of, you know, uh, efficiency savings.
0: Yeah. Yeah. Interesting. So, um, you know, I know we've touched already on pay at the Table. We talked about that a good bit. Um, I want to get to a question here about the agents and ISOs. Yep. Right. So we've been talking a lot about this. Hopefully our audience I think has a pretty good feel for like what we're talking about. Um, I'll go ahead and throw a link out there right now. It's just ccsalespro.com slash copper C O P P E R. Um, We worked together on a merchant sales insight recently. So we have a link there that they they can go to to learn more. Um, But I think they get it. You know, the idea is, uh, you know, from the perspective of the agent and the ISO, all restaurants are narrow now, your game. You go out there, you sell them. They think they're locked into their current processor. You put this magic little smart cable in there between the POS and the printer. You take over the credit card processing, send the transaction to both a receipt that's got a QR code and yeah. send it to a different device like an A920 or others. I know you work with Clover Flex and a few others. So they can send it to a device like that to complete the transaction in that way. But now let's talk about a little bit more of why would they do this? So talk about the agents and the ISOs you've been talking to what are their pain points? What are their pros and cons with this technology?
3: Well, I think that, um, you know, it's a very competitive market, right? I don't have to explain yes. that to your audience. Um, and increasingly, um, the likes of Toast and Square, they're they're increasingly a threat, yeah. right? They get into the their restaurant first. I'm going to replace all this hardware. I'm going to do the processing and so forth. But you know, guess what? Eighty percent of the market is still legacy POS systems. Right. Aloha, Micros, Heartland, Dynaware, you know, you name it. Right. There's something like 120 POS type brands serving restaurants in the U.S. Right. But right. How right. these guys get all the all the the, the the airspace? There's still a long tail of a lot of industry, a lot of merchants, right? Well, you're out there, as I mentioned earlier. Um, why should an iso an agent or an iso care well you've done all this work to make the call to get them to agree to your new your new service and your rates and everything else And the first thing that happens is um you have the 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 barrier now i've got to deal with the bar right right he going to come and update that bar sheet in the pos or not and uh, what are they going to charge me how long is that going to take in our case we're going to save you money, we're not charging you anything, right? Because they don't have to be involved. And two, we're going to save you time because once you have your merchant account signed and your deal done, just go in and replace the cord, roll the Wi-Fi with our smart cable or smart cord, and um, we'll start sending you the transactions. You're up and running. Yeah. Um, so, you know, in a, in a high level, stepping back, it's going to allow – you to penetrate accounts that you otherwise had a hard time or are impossible to penetrate. Yeah. And we deliver a more elegant solution. Now that's, that's for the core processing. The other two things that you get, well, one thing I guess is incremental revenue. Well, how do you do that? Um, In about two weeks, we're going to roll out a new feature, which every agent I've talked to in the last five months have asked for, which is, Built into our checkout process will be cash discounting. Yep, excellent. Now they can sell that as an incremental feature. Right. We make that automatic. Yep. Right, um, obviously it's a premium service, so we'll charge a little bit of money for it, but they're gonna make so much more money. The other uh-huh. thing is, yeah. um, you're gonna help your customer be EMB compliant, right? Yeah. So you know, at the end of the day-
1: You save them
3: that money. are finally ready to upgrade, who are they going to call? Are they going to call the VAR who never helped them in the first place? Right. Or are they going to call the agent who's there as their partner delivering these value-added services? Right, right. right.
1: So, so, ge- so Dixon, ahead. do you actually charge a fee then for this capability? Is, is that where your money comes in?
3: Yeah. So, um, in the first instance, uh, we don't sell the cord. The hardware is free. Okay. Right? That just enables the service to happen. And we serve and we charge a uh, a monthly SaaS fee subscription
1: okay
3: either per location if they have a lot of POSs or per POS. Okay. Right. And that's something we negotiate with our partners. So my yeah. go to market is uh through resellers like I agents and ISOs. Right. So I give it to them as a buy rate.
1: Gotcha. That's, that's what I was going to ask. Whatever
3: they me. want in terms of passing that through, marking it up or right. absorbing.
1: So there's a there's an income opportunity there. That's what I was trying to get
3: at. Right. All right. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Both yeah. both an income opportunity, then immediate term, and then definitely income opportunity with the likes of cash discounting, sure. Um, value added, other value added services that we can we can continue to uh, offer to our our partners.
0: Love it. I'm glad you brought that up, Patty. That was good. You know, I think it's I think it's basically you know if I could summarize all this into a sentence for our audience, you can now go sell restaurants like you sell everybody else. Yep. go sell them yeah. credit card processing. After they say yes, you swap the cable. That's yep. it. Like it's insane. One thing you did mention that I wanted to clarify, because I know a lot of our audience, when they heard you say it, there was a word you said a minute ago that interested them and that was the word toast. Um, yeah. <laughs> can, I, can I get some clarification on that? So you're saying that um, the copper cable would now allow somebody in our industry to potentially um, use their processing with a toast point of sale system in a restaurant.
3: Um, Maybe. I didn't say that exactly. <laughs> okay. Say they're they're competing with um, for an account. Yes. Next to the toast rep that's is saying, "Hey, rip and replace. I'm going to give you all this great gotcha. stuff." Yeah, sure. Mm-hmm. They can show up with my solution and in less time and way less money, offer a lot of the same features.
0: Okay.
3: Right, without the restaurant having to change everything. Right. Got it. Um, so there's okay. that. The other piece is remember we are completely PLS agnostic, sure. So yes, can we can we work? Can we take transactions out of a, a toast system? We actually can. I would say, um, just as a to be completely transparent, caveat emptor. The merchant needs to look at their toast contract if they're already on there
1: mm-hmm. to
3: be. Okay. Clear about what happens if they violate their exclusivity contract with Toast, and it's it. the, the penalties are pretty severe. Sure. And so um, we're just a technology provider.
0: Got it. I understand it's what you're saying. Toast. So, so basically, what you're saying is um, there's there's no you know specific technology hindrance of being nope. able to take an existing Toast customer and flip the processing. The problem is contractually, they may be obligated to Toast, and they need to speak to a legal professional about that. Correct. Correct. Got it. Understood. Cool. Well, this has been super interesting. I know our audience is loving it. So I did already give out one link, which is ccsalespro.com slash copper. That's all lowercase C-O-P-P-E-R. That actually will take them directly to uh, your page to learn more about it. But where else would you send them, Dixon, if they want to learn more about you or they want to learn more about copper?
3: Um, I would say you can, you can look at our website, by the way, we're, we're growing so fast that we're barely being able to keep up with updating the site. So I will <laughs> apologize in advance. It's not what I want it to be, but it's not bad. So use copper.com, um, U-S-E-C-O-P-P-E-R.com, or just send an email info at usecopper.com, And that'll end up on my desk as well as my uh, sales team's desk.
0: Got it. And that was usecopper.com, U-S-E-C-O-P-P-E-R.com. Fantastic. Great information, Dixon. Really appreciate you taking the time. I know uh, I didn't mention it earlier, but the merchant sales insight that I did with you uh, is right at the top of most downloads of any that we've done. So I know our audience is super interested. I know you have a lot of interest in what you're doing. So thank you for taking time to come share it with us today.
3: Thank you for having me. It's great to talk to you this morning, James and Patty.
1: Uh, Thank you.
0: So, Patty, today, as we talk about our sponsor, NMI, and uh, we give out the link, of course, ccsalespro.com NMI, all lowercase, I want to point out an obvious one today. Okay. Selling car not present merchants. Oh, yes. I mean, it seems so obvious, and yet I would be willing to bet that 80% or more of our listeners right now are not, not proactively targeting card not present merchants
1: which is such a huge market now i mean it's just been ballooning in recent yes. in the last 18 months yes
0: and i think a lot of times there's maybe a, a a concept around this that like well that means we're talking about saas or e-commerce but it doesn't you know in your local market think about all of the home service providers mm-hmm. i know we've had ron uh, rice on here several times talking about that. But, you know, uh, your plumbers, your electricians, you know. Uh, your contractors, HVAC, right. right. And, and you know, these are smaller uh, merchant accounts in some cases, but a lot of times they're doing $40,000, $60,000 sure. a month in transactions. And you can use NMI and their incredible dashboard. You don't have to do any API integration or like, mm-hmm. no, you just set it up you create a merchant account, you send your merchant a little uh, invite, they set up an account, they can log into the dashboard, you can impersonate them and help them. Like, it's actually an amazingly simple design. And I think NMI has moved on to all these incredible technology things today where it's easy for people, our listeners that maybe aren't as familiar with NMI to kind of think, well, that's going to be complicated. But No. no, no, they also have this like really super simple dashboard where they can go in put transactions in they can save customers and set up right. like payment plans and charge them right. later and like they really did a great job of thinking through your know, email invoicing and just all the little like basic things that you need as a card not present merchant so for those of you that haven't done so already if you like a market that's not nearly as competitive mm-hmm. go after your card not present service providers in your local area and i would highly recommend partnering with nmi by going to ccsalespro.com slash nmi to start that partnership
2: This is Questions from the Field, brought to you by ccsalespro.com, the leader in merchant sales training and technology. If you are an individual merchant sales professional, visit ccsalespro.com forward slash training to get a free 14-day trial of our all-access pass. If you manage a team of merchant sales professionals, visit ccsalespro.com forward slash ISO to learn how we can help you grow. And now, here is Questions from the Field with James Shepard.
3: So,
0: Patty, today in the questions from the field, I want to talk about option selling and how important it is um, to have this concept of option selling. So, first of all, let me define it, uh, and then I'll I'll dive into some, some thoughts on how to do it better. Sure. So, option selling is basically the opposite of going in with one concept. So, when you go into a business and you say, I think you should buy this point of sale system. I think you should do this feature. I think you should have this pricing. I think you should have cash discounting, whatever it is, right? Mm-hmm. Um, you're going in and saying, this is what you should do versus going in and saying, there are two or three options that I think you should consider. Gotcha. Let me know which of these is best for you. Right. Right. Should we do this? Should we do this? Should we do this? Okay.
1: Which sounds like it should be the way we do it.
0: Yes. Um, so wh- a couple things about it. Number one, I'm not necessarily advocating for the idea of leaving the decision to the prospect, leaving the important decision to the prospect. Sometimes it makes sense to do that. Um, whenever it does make sense to do it, do it. But right. sometimes it doesn't. What I'm advocating is that you always want to create the illusion, at least if not the reality, hmm of multiple options that the merchant will choose from. Sure. Okay. The reason behind this is psychological. It's not logical. It's not that, you know, you you definitely want to give them multiple options because then they're going to make the right choice. The idea here is you want to give them multiple options because they're going to be a lot more likely to say yes. Okay. So the idea is you just have to figure out when we're coming up with these options, are we talking about really important things or less important things? So whenever we're going to pitch something, we're always thinking about, I want to include some options into my value presentation, into my opening pitch even. I want to include options because I want to give the merchant the opportunity to say yes to Mm -hmm. something, right? Mm -hmm. So the question is, where can I include options? Well, maybe you're selling a hair salon and you know that you're going to sell them on a... Zuza point of sale system or a Clover with a certain app that you have. And, and there really aren't any options there, you know, Mm -hmm. like that's just what you're going to do. Okay. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Well then how can we create options? Well, maybe we create options around the features. So maybe we ask them things like um, when we're talking about, you know, online scheduling, Mm
3: -hmm.
0: how do you want to have your online scheduling structured? Do you want to make it available or do you want people to have to call in and talk to somebody and then schedule it on the device? And so, you know, even though, again, that's more of an illusion of options, because it kind of like, who cares, you're going to install right. the system, they can do whatever they want. But by presenting those options, number one, it's going to distract from the main point, and it's going to assume that they're moving forward there. Yes, right? right sure. um, and it's going to give them more opportunities to say, yeah. So now, instead of going to them and saying, hey, um, I really think this point of sale system is the right one with this pricing and these features, what do you think, Mr. Merchant? Mm -hmm. Well, now the merchant's going to think, wow, this is a big decision. Um, I need to think about it. Or, well, maybe, um, or maybe they just say no. Maybe they say yes. You don't know what's going to happen there. Instead, you might say something like, you know, I've done a lot of research. I've worked with a lot of hair salons. I am confident that this is the right point of sale system for you. But I do have a couple of follow-up questions. Right. If you were to move forward to this point of sale system, would you want to have the online scheduling? Is that something that you think would be valuable to your customers? Or would you prefer to have people just call in and talk to somebody on the phone to schedule the appointment?
1: Sure, sure. I get it. Yeah.
0: So I don't even give them the opportunity to really respond to the main thing, which is the point of sale system. And instead, I divert their attention to a lesser, um, you know, uh, question mark, right? Sure. Um, another good example of uh, uh, option selling where it's actually something really important. I've talked to a lot of salespeople. A lot of them are going to listen to me and disagree with me on this, but I still think that there are a lot of markets and verticals where option selling makes sense with cash discounting. Okay. Um, so I really believe that there's, you know, going after a new vertical or a new market where these concepts of surcharging, cash discounting are relatively new. Mm-hmm. Um, and there's not a lot of momentum there. I really think going in there with traditional compliant surcharging and cash discounting as three options Okay. And presenting those to the merchant and saying, basically, you know, it's a foregone conclusion that you want to work with me. I'm going to help you. I'm going to help you save money now. I'm going to position you to be correct in the future. But I do want to present three different pricing options for you. Explain them. And then tell me what you think about it. I want to get your feedback. I want to know what's going to work best for you. Here's what they are. One, two, three. Right. You know, which of these sounds best for you? And you can, a lot of times in a market where um, cash discounting is not the thing yet, Right. You can get them on compliant surcharging with, you know, especially larger ticket where you're saying, well, they can use their debit card and not pay the fee. And that's enough to override their objections around, well, my customers are not going to like it. But unfortunately, a lot of salespeople, they're not doing that. And they're going in and they're mistaking, they're, they're misunderstanding that their market's not ready for just full-blown cash discount. Mm-hmm. And they're saying, well, hey, I'm doing great. I'm selling two or, you know, two, maybe three sales a week on cash discounting. Well, yeah, but you're getting... 30 people that are just telling you no right off the bat because they hate the idea. Right. If you at that point said, well, what about surcharging? So, you know, so you can do option selling. What about traditional? What about traditional? You can do it in several different ways. So, option selling, you can present all the options at once. That's Mm -hmm. a really popular way. The other sales strategy or tactic you can think about is doing it as a cascading options approach. Uh, Okay. Yeah, sure. You let people know we have several options for you. I personally think that cash discounting is the right option. Let me explain why. And then when they say no, and you do your rebuttals to their objections, et cetera, mm-hmm. but you realize that's not going to work, you say, okay, well, as I said, there are other options. Let's talk about the next one. What about surcharging? Let me explain mm-hmm. how that works and how that would address your concern. No. Okay. Well, there are one more, there's one more option. Let me talk about what we can do with traditional processing. So the idea is you can present all the options at once, or you can do cascading. Right. But it's, again, it's all psychology. It's the idea of you want to, you don't want to back yourself into a corner where you're going to get a yes or a no, and then you're done. Right. You want to make sure you've got somewhere to go and give yourself some room to breathe when you're trying to make a sale. Um, and so by presenting a lot of different options, that's helpful. Um, I would even go so far as to say in customer support situations, this is almost more important um, mm-hmm. to have options. You know, too often sure. it's like because the merchant's upset, and it's like, well, here's what I'll do. I'll do this. Right. Well, what if they don't like that solution? You know, mm-hmm. it's a lot mm-hmm. better to say, um, there's a couple things I could do for you. You know, I've done this so many times. When I, when I was selling full time, your schedule just gets eaten alive by customer service, you know, mm-hmm. and until I had hired somebody to help with that, it was like, oh, my goodness. And what I started doing is I would give people options and I would say, here's what I can do. I'm about 45 minutes away from you right now. I can drop everything I'm doing and I can drive to your location right now. If you feel that your concern is that urgent, I'm happy to do that. Mm-hmm. The other option would be I could come later today and change my schedule this afternoon and stop by. I'm happy to do that. The third option would be we could schedule a meeting tomorrow at any time that works for you. And I will adjust my schedule accordingly. Which level of urgency do you think best fits your circumstance? Yeah, yeah. That, you know what that's I found? True. Almost everybody, everybody said, said tomorrow. tomorrow. Yeah. Yeah. And and before I was doing that, I was just saying, I'm going to drop everything and come right there. And they're like, okay, great. But they didn't really need me to do that. That's just what I was doing. And when I gave them the option, they appreciated that. And then I appreciated it because I didn't have to change my schedule for the day. Yeah. So like like you're sitting, like you're sitting in church
1: and you get this thing. I remember you telling me one time you get, you know, you could say, okay, well, I can leave mass right now.
0: (laughs) Right. Like, well, the the pastor seems like he's coming into the runway pretty soon here. I'm not sure uh, Do I need to get up and leave. I'm sitting in the front row here, um, which I have done, I will admit. Um, But, you know, so yeah, I think, uh, I think the, the options are all always crucial when you're trying to get people to make a decision you want go with options it'll go with
1: options i i mean i'm a firm believer i always love options you know i mean putting a new furnace in i want two or three options before give me some bids right yeah exactly it's the same thing when you're selling to a merchant
0: yep absolutely
1: good stuff james Thanks. thanks
2: this is the insiders report with patty murphy brought to you by the green sheet For nearly 40 years, the Green Sheet has been the go-to source for news, analysis, and educational tools that empower and connect payments professionals. If you're not reading the Green Sheet already, check it out on the web today at www.greensheet.com.
1: So, everybody, I wanted to share some news from litigation land this week. Awesome. A group of ATM ISOs led by the National ATM Council has scored a win in its efforts to overturn Visa and MasterCard rules they assert amount to price fixing. Now, the case has been languishing in the courts for like over a decade, and it centers on uh, around um, ATM surcharges. The details kind of take us a bit into the weeds. It took me a while to sort of sift through all the legalese sure. to kind of understand mm-hmm. this, but I, this I, I think this breakdown should explain it to everybody. As you know, surcharges are imposed when a consumer uses a debit card at an ATM owned and operated by um, someone other than the card-issuing bank. And these fees can amount to $3 or more per transaction and are the bread and butter of ATM ISOs and, in many cases, store operators who install the ATMs. Now, under Visa MasterCard rules, in order for an ATM operator to offer services to Visa and MasterCard cardholders, they have to agree to impose the same surcharges as they do for other cards. In other words, a consumer withdrawing cash from a non-bank ATM with a Discover or Star card, for example, um, which generally costs less to to process, has to pay the same surcharge as someone using a card with a Visa or a MasterCard logo. So they either have to charge everyone the same lower fee or the higher surcharge. Hmm. Now, according to lawsuit, independent deployers account for about half of all ATMs in the U.S., or about 200,000. And they want to use differential surcharging, as they call it, which more adequately reflects costs. But absent there, and, you know, absent that, there's uh, no competitive marketplace, they claim. In their lawsuit, they allege that Mastercard and Visa rules amount to price fixing, that artificially inflates the fees consumers pay to use ATMs, in violation of the federal Sherman Antitrust Act.
0: So, if I can, if I can pause you for one second. Sure. So, <clears throat> I think I understand. So, what you're saying so far is, Visa and Mastercard debit cards, right, might actually have a higher underlying cost to process. Right. Versus maybe a star or a um, discover nice or whatever, or
1: whatever pulse, whatever. Yeah. Right.
0: And so if they run it on one network versus another, there would be a different cost. Right. But Visa and MasterCard have said, if you're going to accept Visa and MasterCard cards at this uh, device, at this ATM machine, the mm-hmm. surcharge has to be the same regardless. Exactly. Okay. All right. I got exactly. it. Let me make sure I understood so far.
1: So. Yeah. Yeah. So no, I'm, like I said, it's a bit in the weeds. I mean, yes. you know, it took me a little bit of uh, I had a,
0: but I think there's going to be interesting. I, I don't know where you're going with this, but I think there's going to be an interesting side note here for some other things I care about. So that's why I was curious. Yeah,
1: and I, yeah. And I figured there were. And that's why I wanted to report on this. <laughs> yeah, right. Sure. OK. <laughs> and as I said, this case has been languishing in the courts for more than a decade sure. Sure. and even made it all the way up to the Supreme Court at one point, which sent it back down to the lower courts. Hmm. And it's been sitting on a docket at a federal court in D.C. since 2018, waiting to be certified as a class action lawsuit. Well that certification came through in August and now the case can proceed although Visa and Mastercard have about 60 days to challenge that class action status. Wow.
0: Uh, I wonder if they will.
1: I wonder if they will, right? <laughs> like I said, it's been 10 years and they've they've thrown up roadblocks every you yeah. know every step of the way, but sure. Anyway, the class defines itself as 350 non-bank ISOs. That are sponsored by one or more banks that are registered with Visa and MasterCard. And it covers the period running from October t- 2007 through to present day. Okay. Now, they're not saying exactly how much they're, they expect in damages, but it, they say it mounts into the millions of dollars, which of course. easily it can. Right. Um, but I there, I just wanted to throw out a couple things. Uh, Jonathan Rubin, who's a DC attorney representing the ISIS and NAC. Uh, I found this quote from him back in from 2011. He said, quote, Visa and MasterCard are the ringleaders, organizers, and enforcers of a conspiracy among U.S. banks to fix the price of ATM access fees in order to keep the competition at bay. Were it not for these anti-competitive rules, Visa and MasterCard would face real competition for ATM services. Consumers would pay lower ch- prices for using ATMs, and more ATMs would be deployed, is what he said. Hmm. Now, you know, considering how long this case has been languishing and with Visa MasterCard challenging all every step of the way, it's anybody's guess when the case is actually going to get a hearing. But uh, AT- ATM ISOs are bracing for a victory. And what brought this to my attention is that NAC took, took a bit of a victory lap, proclaiming its success in getting class action status back in August. You know, sending out press releases. I noticed that Green right. Sheet picked it up, digital transactions picked it up. It's, sure. you know. And I think as I'm sure you want to talk you want to interject at this point, it all goes to the whole issue of Visa and MasterCard's control over surcharging.
0: Exactly. Yeah. And yeah. I think I think the reason I think their their victory lap may be a bit premature as far as actually oh, yeah. getting what they want. Sure. But I I don't think it's premature in terms of that they will eventually win. I think um, so. And I think, you know, that it just goes to show that I think the courts recognize and continue but have already recognized and continue to recognize that this idea of, you know, freedom, pricing freedom when it comes to payments mm-hmm. and incentivizing customers to use certain forms of payment, right. That exists entirely within the purview of the merchants, free speech rights. Yes. ISOs, free speech, free speech rights, right. PM providers, free speech rights, like, you know we're we're talking about how we communicate our pricing and the idea that Visa and Mastercard have acted in a way that's anti-competitive I mean, wake me up when something new happens. Right? This, this, this is a well-known, it's not like any judge is going to look at this and say, oh, wait, I've never seen this before. It's like, no, this, this has right. happened. There's this over and over and over again. Every court has ruled, obviously, we, there is know. price fixing. Obviously, there is anti-competitive practices. I don't necessarily fault them for it. I mean, they're the gorillas. That's what you do. If you, you can do. get away with it, why not? You know. Right, that's what you do. <laughs> right, right they are doing that. And so I think the the interesting thing is seeing the trends and I'll be interested to see how this one plays out because there could be some interesting language in the ruling, you know, that would further impact this whole, you know, argument around yes. credit versus debit or mm-hmm. surcharging this type versus another type. And even, I know there's, on, there's ongoing legislation you've talked about, as far as this uh, issue of, you know, off network transactions right. that are not on the Visa network or Mastercard network versus on. And so, Right. You know, this just plays into that whole narrative this and plays it plays into
1: that whole you know, narrative. I mean, it just to me it's like they just keep on coming and coming and it's yes. like it's like these these last gasps of, yes. of of trying to, you know, oh we're gonna hold on to we gotta right. at least hold on to right. one of these rules, you know. Right, and, for for as
0: long as possible. And 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 I think they have done a fantastic job at that and they'll continue to do it. And the truth is, whenever things don't go their way, they find a way to do something else on the other side to make up the revenue anyway, and the profit and so exactly. know it's fine but i i think i think it is an interesting one so i'm sure you'll keep us up to date on that
1: oh for sure who knows it may be six months or eight before we hear anything else but i'll be sure to let everybody know
0: awesome thanks patty
1: sure
2: thank you for listening to the merchant sales podcast whether you are an industry veteran processing executive or just trying to learn about the payment space we appreciate your time